0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: Have we come to a place, have we come so far as a body of believers, have we come so far as followers of Jesus that that forget about suffering, we're not even willing to be inconvenienced so that people can have a chance to go to heaven. Suffering
0: everybody has to go through it at times. It may be physical or
1: emotional or spiritual,
0: but have you ever thought about suffering as a privilege?
1: The burden that Paul felt for the churches that he had planted, for the lives that he had touched, for the difference that he had made in their lives. And he, oh, how he wanted to see them continue to grow, to become full in Christ and to be all that God intended for them to be. And he had a burden for them. And I know he had a burden for the loss around him.
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Thanks for joining us today. We're in week four of a series entitled "Heartbeat," and it's based upon the New Testament book of Philippians. Today we come to the end of chapter one, and as you'll hear Pastor Clay say in today's message, the Apostle Paul begins to give instructions to the church at Philippi and to us as well.
1: Paul says, "If it were possible, I, I would be willing to be lost. I would be willing to be cut off from Christ if it meant that my Jewish brothers and sisters could come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What he has to
0: say about suffering may seem hard for us to accept. But as we're learning how to make Christ our heartbeat, we're discovering the key to not only enduring suffering, but actually considering it a privilege. Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's crosswalk. I lead you to the cross.
1: We are talking about heartbeat and what is the heartbeat of our life. And, uh, over the last few weeks, really, it's a question that I've asked you to, to give some serious consideration to slow down and really kind of ponder that question. Because sometimes we get so caught up in just the busyness of life that we never actually, we never actually really do that. We never actually really step back and say, okay, what really is the heartbeat of my life? What, what really matters to me? And as I said, I think the very first week we started this series, there may be uh, numerous things that are important in our life. And, and there should be, by the way. Our family should be important to us. Our, our vocation should be important. A lot of things that should be important to us. But uh, at the core, as I said then, at the core, if you, if, you, if you can get honest enough and go deep enough, you usually can find that there's one core central element that is the driving force of your life. And that's what I call heartbeat. But in your, in your heart, there's, there's room for lots of things. This morning, as we were uh, going out the door, getting ready to come to... Uh, to the church this morning to get ready so I was uh, locking the door up and stuff Cindy was getting in the car and, and Cindy said uh I, I don't remember exactly what all she said or how she said it but she said something about um you know I just love you and um and I just kind of looked at her you know and not that that was surprising she she says that a lot she says she loves me but but I don't know that she's ever said it on my way out the door at eight, eight o'clock whatever time it was to go to church and then she said something about I just I just can't get enough of you do you know that now that was, you know, and I didn't have any money on me, so I wasn't sure, you know, what. And so, yeah, but that was, not, was so nice of her to say that it really was. And, and, uh, but then we're going down the road, and, uh, and she said it again. She said, you know, I just, you just, you just look so good to me. I just, I just love you and stuff. So that, and that's, that's awesome. That's good. But then, <laughs> um, maybe just a little bit farther down the road, I have a problem with my air conditioner in, uh, in my Suburban from time to time it will it's weird. I don't know what it is, but one side or the other, driver's side or passenger side, the air will not only just shut off, it'll start blowing like unbearable heat will start coming out of this side. while the other side is still just, you know, ar- Arctic cold. Well, guess which side remained Arctic cold? Cindy side. And she just starts laughing. She says, my side is so cold, yours is burning up. And she's laughing and laughing and carrying on. And it was, it was, it was really, it was really hot. So, you know, I thought, well, that's kind of, well, didn't you say you love me and kidding me? You ought to be offered to switch, switch seats or something. Our hearts are, are, uh, are obviously an important part of our body, right? We talked about that as well, physically speaking. But at the core is the heartbeat. Uh, Today, uh, we're looking at just uh, the last four verses of chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Just four verses. And quite honestly, we probably could have thrown those in last week. We probably could have looked at those last four verses uh, of of that first chapter, and, and it would have been okay. But as I, was, as I was building an outline for this series, uh, there are just some things in that latter part of Colossians chapter 1 that I just didn't feel like we could do justice to, that we, we could look at effectively in, in the limited amount of time that we had last week. Today, we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, as we continue this idea of heartbeat. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. Y'all ready for verse 29? For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. As I said, it's, it's just four verses, but there's a lot to say in those four verses, and I want to give you this morning, I want to start out, with, which I do a lot of times, with what we refer to around here as the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. What is the BP squared? Y'all are probably wondering that, aren't you? Why don't you just go ahead and ask. What's the BP squared? Glad you asked. It looks like this. Full faith is faithful. Full faith is faithful. Now, okay, Nice. A little clever, but what does it mean? What is full faith? What does that look like? What does that do? What does that matter for my life? There are three concepts in these verses that I believe Paul shares that I want to share with you. The first one that I want to share with you this morning is this, conduct. Conduct counts, ladies and gentlemen. Conduct counts. Now, Paul uh, in the last couple weeks, we've been looking how Paul's as, as he opens his letter, he's kind of reflecting back on his life and what he's experienced. And he's kind of sharing some of the things that he's going through currently. And we talked about those. And you can go back and listen to those messages. But he's in prison as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And, he, and he's, he's reflecting on all that, some of the things that he'd been through, some of the things that he was going through, and he makes this amazing statement in there where he says, uh, you know, I, I, I rejoice, and yes, I shall rejoice, just this amazing statement. And, and the reason he was able to do that is because, as I said last week, uh, that it was the, his focus was on the eternal result and not the temporary circumstances. That really was the key for Paul, and it really is the key for our lives as well, that to have joy, to say in the midst of all circumstances, and I'm, I really am trying not to rehash all of last week's message, but to really have joy in the midst of all circumstances, that one of the keys is that I have to remember that my focus has to be on the eternal result, what God is working in this, and not the temporary circumstance. So that was, that was key for Paul. And then, so he follows that up and he makes this... Uh, after he talks about joy and he has, we will rejoice, and everything, then he makes this, what I think is one of the greatest declarative statements in all of the Bible, when he says in Philippians chapter one and verse 21, for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Would you all say that verse with me? It's just such a profound and powerful and important verse for our lives. Would you just read that, if you would please out loud with me? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain so for paul everything and i mean everything revolves around christ it's all about christ and he says if if i if i live that's fantastic because that means I'm going to be able to glorify Christ. That means I'm going to be able to share Christ with people that need to hear of his redemptive plan and, and, and what he has accomplished for them. And, and I'm going to get to, to uh, continue to, to pour into churches and plant new churches. If I get to live, then it's all going to be about Christ. But if I die, I, I get to go and be with Christ. You, you see where he is at this place in his life? He so said, I'm going to get to go to eternity. I'm going to, get to go to heaven. I'm going to, get to go to be where Christ is. As I said again, as I said last week, that was so important because the promise of heaven drove his purpose on earth. Remember me saying something about that last week, if you happen to be here? It was the promise of what was in front of him that drove his purpose to keep going. And so he could look at his life and say, Man, I, I, I'm rejoicing. And yes, I'm going to rejoice. Paul truly considers himself in a win-win situation. You ever been in one of those? It seems like they're few and far between. But you ever been in one of those situations just seems like this is a win-win situation? That, that's that's, how, that's what life is. That's how he feels. I can I can't lose at this thing. If I live, awesome. If I die, awesome. I get to go and be with Christ. Then in verse 27 he begins to move into uh, directives to the church in Philippi and really to all believers because he's writing an in inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so what he has to say has application for the church even today. He begins to, to, to say to the church in Philippi, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. There it is. There it is knew that was coming. That's what Christianity is. Just a bunch of do's and don'ts, just a bunch of rules and regulations, got to conduct yourselves, got to do the right thing, can't do this, can't do this, can't do that, can't do that, can't do this. Just a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's all that Christianity is. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that or maybe even you've said it yourself? Sure. I sure was a time in my life when I would have said it. Here here, here he goes, he's he's jumping all up in our business when he begins to say, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct counts, ladies and gentlemen. It actually matters. Now, that's, um, that's important to understand because we live in a culture and we live in a day when... When rebellion against an ultimate authority is at an all time high. Would most of you agree with that? You might not all agree with it, but would most of you agree that we live at a day and a time? Now, let me let's say this man's heart, where's my Man's heart has always been rebellious towards God. It's, it's just called the sin nature. But I believe that we are living in a time when the, the idea of, of having to admit to or subject ourselves to an ultimate authority. Rebellion against that is at an all-time high. And sadly, that idea, and it's the idea, it's this mantra. And you've heard this one way or another. It's my life. This is my life. I can live it any way I want to live it. And nobody has any business telling me how to live my life. As long as what I'm doing is not hurting anybody else, it's my business. Live and let live. That really is the mantra of today. If I'm not hurting you, you don't mess with me. Live and let live. Sadly, that idea has crept into the church, ladies and gentlemen. People have this idea today that I have my spiritual life. I have that Jesus thing. If, if they do, I, I have that Jesus thing. I have that spiritual thing and that's a nice package. And, you know, I, I like to come and sing the songs and, and, I, and I get to go to heaven someday. That's kind of a bonus. That's a good deal. So I've got my, I've got my Jesus thing. I've got the spiritual thing. And then over here, I've got my normal life. I've got my life that, that I make the decisions for every day, that, that, that I decide what's good or what's right or what's best or what's ever, with very little thought to what God thinks or says or anything about it. This is, this is my normal life. That's, that's my spiritual life over there. And ladies and gentlemen, nothing could simply be further from the truth for a follower of Jesus. I'm sorry you gave up that right. If you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you've given up your right to decide how you want to live your life. Well, nobody told me that. Well, then somebody sold you a cheap gospel, ladies and gentlemen. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in his letter to the church at Corinth. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. It's kind of hard to interpret that any other way, is it? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Conduct counts. It matters what we do with our lives. But nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to think that that conduct counts or that conduct matters or that it has any bearing on my life. Somehow when it comes to moral issues or decisions, all that's, that's, that's for me to decide. I, um, I think I've told you, some of you guys this before, but uh, my son Travis and I, we were at the gym one day, and uh, uh, Travis was talking to a young man that we'd gotten to know there, and he invited him to church. you got to come to church sometime, hang out with us. And the young man's response was typical of this culture in which we live. The young man said, uh, I think it was something pretty close to this, I don't need some old book telling me how to live my life. That's, that's the idea. I, I don't need some old book telling me how to live my life, do's that I should do and the don'ts that I, I can't do. I, I, I don't need that, right? Well, I, let's just think about that idea for a minute. I don't, I don't need some old book. I don't need anybody telling me how to do something or don't do something. Let's, I know it's a silly example, but let's, let's say that, that you find yourself in a room with a nuclear bomb. Hey, it could happen. And the nuclear bomb is set to go off in some amount of time. But in that room is a book written by a nuclear physicist slash bomb expert with all the instructions of what to do and what not to do. By the way, you know that book would be filled with do's and don'ts, right? Don't drop the bomb. Don't hit on on the bomb with a hammer. Don't cut the red wire. (laughs) Do cut the green wire. You better believe you'd be poring over every line in that book. You and everybody else, by the way. Because you know your life depends on you getting this one right. Do's and don'ts isn't necessarily a, a, a bad thing. The truth is, you and I live with do's and don'ts every day. Don't we? The, the place where you, if, if you work outside the home, the place where you work uh, probably comes with a... Uh, uh, a, a, a Employee's handbook. Now, if you're a homemaker and, and your spouse gave you an employee's handbook, that's <laughs> pretty bad. But if you work outside the home, the place where you work very likely has an employee handbook. And I'll bet it has do's and don'ts in there. Do, put in a full day's work. Don't, abscound with the company's money. It, it, it's got stuff in there. The traffic laws you obey or disobey are do's and don'ts. Right? Aren't they? The airplane that you ride on, the pilot up in the cockpit has a list of do's and don'ts. I can assure you he does. Nobody gets up out of their seat and says, now hold on there a minute, fella. You're captain of this ship. You don't have to pay attention to any bunch of do's and don'ts. You just do anything you want to do. Nobody does that because everybody knows that your life depends on that pilot, him or her, checking off the do's and the don'ts. No, it, conduct counts. It it, it matters. Now, let me tell you real quickly why it should matter to us. Conduct counts because your conduct honors or dishonors Christ. It just does. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus. And that's obviously a decision that each person has to come to arrive at. That's an idea they have to, I know that I've trusted Christ or I'm not sure about this, whatever. But it, it, it honors or dishonors Christ. And that's just the bottom line. How we act, what we think, what we do in public, in private, it all honors or dishonors Christ. And that should matter to us, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ came to earth, was born in obscurity, lived most of his life in poverty, was arrested and condemned falsely, was beaten brutally, was nailed to a cross mercilessly, was mocked and ridiculed shamelessly, suffered greatly, but died willingly for you and for me. He is the king of the universe. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. And what we do honors or dishonors him. And that should matter to me as a follower of Jesus. Let's get practical with this thing, shall we? Would y'all like to get practical Okay, just remember you asked. (laughs) Um, For instance, in the Bible, Paul's letter to Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God wants you to be holy and to stay away from sexual sins. That's a don't, by the way. Don't be involved in sexual sin. Don't be involved in sexual immorality. So if you're here and you're single, are you sexually active? I only bring that up because statistically speaking, the largest majority of single people in America who are of some age are sexually active, both outside the church and inside the church. I don't mean in the, well, you know, you know. So if you're single, are you sexually active? Because if you are, your conduct is dishonoring to Christ. By the way, this is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is why preachers don't like to, to preach much about specific sins anymore because nobody wants to hear that what they might be doing is wrong and it's hard to fill seats up if you tell people what they're doing is wrong. Now, lest you think I'm picking on single people and remember, y'all ask, but in case you think I'm picking on single people, if you are married, are you sexually active with your spouse? Well, that's a dumb question. No, it's not. After about 20 years of marital counseling, I can tell you that there are many, many couples that struggle in this area and have little to no sexual interaction. And yet, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body To his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. He's talking about basically fasting. From, from this gift that you've been given as a husband and wife, that it's okay to fast from it from, for some period of time. You want to pray about something and, and that's a way you can honor God and show God that, that he's the most important thing in your life. He said, if you want to do that, that's okay. But afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Uh, that's a do. So, do you? All right, all right. Get off the sex thing. But... I mean, we don't, we don't have, what time is it? We don't have time, but we could, we could look at verses of scripture that, that deal with, with our our tongue or language, what comes out of our mouth. Does it honor or dishonor Christ? We could look at at verses that deal with our money and, and, and how we spend it. Does it honor or dishonor Christ? We could look at verses that deal with, with anger or, or with fear or with pride or with on and on you could go, right? On and on you could go. But the point is, our conduct counts, that it actually matters. And we can't separate my conduct, my normal life, how I act and the decisions I make about my life and how I live it. We can't separate that from this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. They, they go together. And it's one of the aspects of full faith. It does involve my conduct. Now, let me give you one other idea. Not only does it honor or dishonor Christ, but your conduct builds up or tears down unity in the body of Christ. And I know i got to hurry on this one. But your conduct builds up or tears down unity in the body of Christ. Again, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent. Paul didn't know how long he was going to be in prison. He was pretty sure he was going to get out. But he didn't know for sure. I may hear of you that you are, Watch this? Standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. To the church in Philippi, he says, he said, even if I can't come to you, I wanna hear that you're striving together in one spirit, in one mind for the faith of the gospel, building up the body of Christ. He said, that's what I wanna hear about you. What he's talking about is unity, ladies and gentlemen. Interestingly enough, the word uh, striving, uh, it comes from a Greek word that basically means standing side by side or back to back. Striving together, standing side by side with my brother or my sister or back to back, meaning we've got each other's back. We're there for each other. We're, 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 we're willing to do battle for each other we're going to stand with each other. We're going to help each other. We're going to protect each other. We're going to serve each other. We're going to do whatever we have to to make sure that our brother or our sister is taken care of. We've got each other other's back. We're not stabbing each other in the back. That may go on in the corporate world. That may go on in the business world. That may go on in the political world. But it has no place in the body of Christ. There has to be unity within the body of Christ. Now listen, do we always all agree about everything? No. Do we get on each other's nerves from time to time? Yes. Come on, you can admit it. Sure. But the body operating in unity. And what Paul knows is if the body is operating in unity... If it's operating this way, then people will be drawn to that. Because I'm telling you, people are always drawn to something that is different than the rest of the world. People are always drawn to something where they know it's a place where they can go. Where nobody uh, nobody cares if you've got $10 to your name or $10 million to your name. Nobody cares about the color of your skin. Nobody cares about uh, your social standing. Nobody cares about your, your educational level. But there's a place where you can go and you know that this person has got your back and you've got theirs. And you can serve and you can minister and you can be there for each other in a way that makes a difference. Conduct counts because it builds unity. And Paul knows that if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm thinking about my conduct and in the power of God operating in a way that honors Christ, then I will be operating in a way that means I will be selfless toward you and you toward me. I will be looking for ways to serve you and you to serve me. I'll be looking for ways to help. I'll be trying to meet needs and so will you. It builds up or it tears down unity. All right, I I know I need need to hurry. So, second aspect, courage. Conduct counts, courage. Verse 28 says this, in no way alarmed by your opponents. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. There's an old saying, maybe some of you have heard this, there's an old saying that that goes something like this, if you've never run into the devil, it simply means you're going in the same direction. If you stand in this world for the cause of Christ, if you, in other words, if you say, listen, God is real, his son has redeemed me, he's, he's asked me to, to share that with the rest of the world, and that does involve conduct, it does involve righteousness and holiness and this thing that God wants us to live our lives that are, that are best for us. And so I have to take this stand in my life. I have to say this is wrong or this is right or this is whatever. If you do that, ladies and gentlemen, you are squarely lining yourself up in the crosshairs of the enemy. Throughout history, men and women who were followers of Jesus have been persecuted severely for their faith in Jesus Christ. During the days of the Roman Empire, many were fed to the lions, many were crucified. Many, like the Apostle Paul, were beheaded. Many were thrown in prison. And, and on down through the ages, through the years, men and women who have stood on the truth of God's Word have been burned at the stake, drowned, stoned, speared, shot. Uh, at this point, you're probably thinking, uh, Clay, if, if, uh, if this is a sales pitch, you're a lousy salesman. But listen, it is the courage that men and women have presented in the face of that type of opposition. It has been that very courage, oftentimes historically, that has made the world sit up and take notice that there's something different about this Jesus guy. There's something different about the people that follow him. If I can quickly, I want to read you. You know, from time to time, I like to read you stories. I want to read you the story from Jesus freaks. It's the story of uh, Roland Taylor. This took place in England and in 1555, and, and I'll read it as fast I can, as I can if y'all will listen fast. It says, opens, uh, Roland, don't go, his friends urged. You've done your duty. You've testified to the truth and resisted the priest when he tried to bring again his idolatry. Our Savior Christ told us that when they persecute us in the city, we should flee into another. Keep yourself for another time when the church shall have great need of such diligent teachers and godly pastors. Dr. Taylor replied, God will not forsake his church. He will raise up others to teach his people. As for me, I believe before God I shall never be able to do God so good service as I may do now. Nor shall I ever have so glorious a calling as I now have. Nor so great mercy of God offered to me as now. So I ask you and all other of my friends to pray for me, and I know God will give me strength in His Holy Spirit. In the mid-1500s, the Bible had been translated into English. The town of Hadley was one of the first places to receive the Word of God in all of England. And here, many had often read the whole Bible through and followed God's Word in their living. But when King Edward died, freedom of religion took a giant step backward. Dr. Roland Taylor, pastor of Hadley, bravely challenged those who tried to force believers back into the dark ages of superstition and idolatry. And for this, he was ordered to appear before the bishop and Lord Chancellor. "'I am old and have already lived too long "'to see these terrible and most wicked days,' he told his friends. "'You do as your conscience leads you. "'I am fully determined with God's grace "'to go to the bishop. "'I am not expecting justice or truth,' But imprisonment and cruel death, yet I know my cause to be good and righteous, and the truth are strong upon my side. With these words, he willingly went to London, where, as predicted, he was accused as a heretic and thrown into prison. After two years, he was again brought before the bishops and given a chance to change his stand after two years in prison. He answered boldly, I will not depart from the truth which they had preached in King Edward's day, I thank God for calling me to be worthy to suffer for his word and truth. When the bishops saw him so boldly, constantly, and immovably fixed in the truth, they sentenced him to death. He was immediately sent back to his hometown of Hadley to be burned at the stake. Along the way, he was joyful and, and merry. He was so joyful and merry that anyone watching would have thought he was going to a banquet or a wedding. His words to his guards often caused them to weep as he earnestly called them to repent from their evil and wicked living. They marveled to see him so steadfast, fearless, joyful, and glad to die. Two miles out of town, he got off his horse and did a little dance. He was so glad to be close to home. He then prayed, Thank you, Lord, that once more I will see my flock whom I have heartily loved and truly taught. Bless them and keep them steadfast in your word and truth. He had to pass through the town to get to the place of execution. And on either side of the street were women and men weeping and crying, Ah, Lord, there goes our good shepherd who so faithfully taught us, cared for us, and governed us. Oh, merciful God, what shall we poor scattered lambs do? What shall come of this most wicked world? Lord, strengthen him and comfort us. When they reached the place where he would be burned, Dr. Taylor said to all gathered there, I have taught you nothing but God's holy word and those lessons that I have taken out of God's blessed book, the Holy Bible. I am come here this day to seal it with my blood. As he kneeled down and prayed, a poor woman stepped in and prayed with him, but they pushed her away and threatened to trample her with the horses. Even so, she would not leave, but stayed and prayed with him. He went to the stake, kissed it, and stood against it, with his hands folded together and his eyes toward heaven. And so he continually prayed. They bound him with chains and several men put the sticks in place, one cruelly throwing a bundle of sticks at Dr. Taylor so that it hit him on the head and made blood run down his face. And he said, oh friend, I have harm enough. Why did you need to do that? At last they lit the fire. Dr. Taylor held up both his hands and called upon God, saying, Merciful Father of heaven, for Jesus Christ, my Savior's sake, receive my soul into thy hands. He stood in the flames without either crying or moving. His hands folded together. And to spare him further suffering, a man from the town ran towards the fire and struck him on the head with a long-handled battle axe. And Dr. Taylor died instantly, his corpse falling into the fire. I'm sorry if that's a bit too graphic for you, but courage is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, which is a sign of condemnation to our enemies, Paul said, but of your deliverance. Listen, I better move on. I'm about out of town here, so I better move on. There's more I can say about that, but let's let's get to the last uh, point. Commitment, conduct, courage, commitment. Verse 29 and 30, let me read it to you. For it... For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him. Right? Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now, it's not quite clear exactly what Paul means when he says experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. We don't know exactly what that means. Certainly part of that was physical. You don't go through all that Paul went through and not have some signs of wear on your body. As a matter of fact, to, to the church in, in Galatians, he said this, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus, almost certainly referring to the scars on his bodies from the repeated stoning beatings and, and, and the stoning and the whipping and the, all the stuff that he'd been through. I think part of it, the stuff that they've seen in him and now are hearing about him, part of this suffering, I think part of it, Certainly a good part of it was emotional and spiritual. The burden that Paul felt for the churches that he had planted for the lives that he had touched, for the difference that he had made in their lives. And he, oh, how he wanted to see them continue to grow, to become full in Christ and to be all that God intended for them to be. And he had a burden for them. And I know he had a burden for the lost around him. Listen, so great was Paul's burden for his fellow brethren, the the Jews. So great was his burden for them that he wrote this to the church in Rome. Romans chapter nine, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and un unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people those of my own race it's not possible Paul says if it were possible I I would be willing to be lost I would be willing to be cut off from Christ if it meant that my Jewish brothers and sisters could come into a relationship with Jesus Christ folks that's a burden that's a commitment um, somebody said to me last week after the service that I probably shouldn't have tied the two together. I probably shouldn't have mentioned in, in, in last week's service about those missionaries that were killed that time in Ecuador. And then later, I put a plea out to you to give financially so that our team can go to Peru that's getting ready to leave. That, that, that probably, again, was poor salesmanship. Listen, I know, I know that every time we send a team out of here, whether it's across the street or across the world, I know that every time we send a team out of here, there's the potential for something to happen or go wrong. I know that. And I live with that burden as the pastor who pushes you to go. But let me say this. First, let me say this. Staying here in America or staying right in your own home is no guarantee that bad can't come to you or that something wrong can't happen. But second, if I have to go, if I have to to eat something strange or if I have to to work to the point of exhaustion or if I have to have a bad flight or even if I have to give my very life to borrow from the Apostle Paul, so what? Because for to me, to live is Christ. To die, that's gain. One thing's for sure. I'm wrapping this up. One thing's for sure. Whatever all Paul means by that, He means that if you decide you're going to be a follower of Jesus' idea of following Jesus, wimps need not apply. This is a for real deal. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the casual believer. It's for the person who understands that when when I'm coming to Christ, I'm coming all in. It's Christ. That's what this is about. He's my heartbeat. And this is the commitment I'm making in my life, no matter what it costs me. I, this was years ago, it wasn't, wasn't here, it was another church, but Cindy uh, was talking to a, a woman about the, the possibility of going on a mission trip with her to a place in the world where, let's say, the plumbing is less than, than ideal, and, uh, and, and the woman immediately responded, no, I like my western toilet too much. Listen, can I say this to you? I love my western toilet too. But have we come to a place, have we come so far as a body of believers, have we come so far as followers of Jesus that that forget about suffering, we're not even willing to be inconvenienced. And we're not willing to even get off our porcelain thrones so that people can have a chance to go to heaven. Got to be careful, I'm going to start preaching a minute here. Commitment, commitment, commitment. That's full faith. It is my conduct. It does matter. The choices I make, the decisions I make for my life, it matters. It does. And I need the courage of God in my life. And God uses that to affect other people's lives. And I have to understand that following Christ is a commitment of my life. Full faith. That's
0: conduct, courage, and commitment. As Pastor Clay has shown us today, those are three aspects of a walk with Christ that are vitally important. Most people may not want to be told what to do, but if Christ is our heartbeat, we want to please Him with our conduct. Pastor also showed us the importance of courage because in this world, there will always be those who don't want to see the message of Jesus to spread. But as His followers, we have to be willing to stand strong against the opposition Finally, as Pastor Clay put it, when it comes to following Jesus, wimps need not apply. Everyone who would desire to follow after Christ must understand that this is more than just believing something. This is giving our lives to the glory of God. That's heartbeat. As we learned today, in this world, we may have troubles, but the rewards for faithfulness to God are out of this world. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7, and we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know.